Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the singing we've uh, been able to do for you, towards you, and we pray that you'd receive our worship and our prayers and the things that are going on in our hearts individually. Everybody's come with different things they need from you today, and we know that by your Holy Spirit, your word can meet everybody's needs and that you will meet everybody's needs. And that's what we pray, that even if it's a whisper, that's all we have. We just pray that you'd be with us and minister to us. We love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us eternally. But as, uh, as JC prayed, while we're here waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be picked up, um, life is hard and there are things that come against us and we need help. And so God, we just pray that you'd speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 94 um, is a psalm of, it says vengeance, but it's, the, the writer wants justice. And I think all of us can identify with that. Um, The world has its own view and understanding and definition of justice, it seems, especially as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus coming back for us. We have um, definitions changing. We are in the process of, and have been for a long time, of things being good being called evil and those things that are evil being called good. And so definitions are changing. And that's not by God's hand, that's by man's hand and Satan's hand. And so even back when this was written, the psalmist here is dealing with injustice all around him. He doesn't understand. And and I have to admit, those are one of the questions I have. Let's start here, and we will conclude with this verse also. But I know there's a great white throne judgment, and ultimately anything that was um, maybe not overlooked, but people seem to have gotten away with something, I know we'll ultimately be judged, and I understand that. Um, the part that is is a, a mystery to me is why there is judgment and justice scattered throughout until that time. Why doesn't every bad person, only some, and why does every good and, and so on get, why do the good die young, you know, as, as the song says, and, and why, does, why does it seem that evil is, 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 uh, is overlooked? Um, we, we cry out for justice when it doesn't happen. We can see it. The other side of things is when I see an injustice and I demand justice or pray and wonder where is this justice, I don't ever do that for myself, ever. When I do something wrong, all I want is mercy. All I'm asking for is forgiveness. All I'm hoping for is for my transgressions to not be imputed to me. Yet when I see it outside of me, oftentimes I want it. I want it now. I want that justice. and I want that iniquity imputed to them. I want them to get it. And we have to be careful about that. And I think the psalmist works through that today in verse 94, or Psalm 94. He begins in verse 1, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Now he repeats himself because that's just, that's poetry, Hebrew poetry, where they they build upon it and they're they're impassioned. Um, I mean, a simple thing for us would be, why, oh God, why? You know, he already heard us the first time, but we say it again because we're passionate about it. And that's all he's trying to get at. I know that vengeance belongs to you, God. Where is it? When am I going to see it? That's great, you know, 
But when are you going to follow through? When is it actually going to take place? We have days like this where some days we're like, oh boy, yeah, boy, I can just tell by looking around that the spiritual temperature of this world is on the rise and I can see Jesus coming. It almost brings a little joy to our heart in the sense that it's happening just like Scripture says. We can see it unfolding right before our eyes. And if there are other days we're like, okay, but today be a good day for it. You know, I don't know that I want to wait any longer. And I can see him struggling with that. I want you to render punishment to the proud. In Deuteronomy 32.4, the scripture says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. My feelings fluctuate is what I'm getting at. From day to day, I can put up with it. Some days I've had enough. My feelings fluctuate. And as a Christian, I have to rely upon God's word and what I know about him and who he is. I know what he's done in the past and I know what he said he's going to do in the future. And that's what I rest upon. I don't wonder why not now. I just rest upon these scriptures right here that say, I know that he's just, I know that he's perfect. I know that he does everything in the right time. My timing is not his timing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Just a warning to us. And he gives us that warning to let us, he knows, I know you're going to want to do this. I know you're going to want to exact vengeance. I know you're going to want to handle these things. I don't want you to do that. I want you to give room, leave room for me to do these things. In other words, if I do attempt vengeance on my own, if I do attempt to try to right a wrong in some way, and I'll clarify that in a minute, I I don't give room for him to do it. Now, it's not that he doesn't use us. We see that all the time. We're given in Romans that the, the, the one who bears the sword is the one who has the opportunity and the authority to exact justice. The sword today, we don't carry swords, but they, they do carry sidearms. And now it's, you know, that, that's the big controversial subject lately in the last five to ten years is police brutality and things like that. And is it perfect? Is it right? Well, no, there are examples of these things where things didn't go like they were supposed to. The human or the beyond professionalism of the police officer got ahead of himself, got, a, got away from his, himself. And we see things happening that shouldn't happen. But for the most part, 99% of the time, they're the ones doing and stepping in between righteousness and injustice. And they're doing, the, they're doing their job. And so he does have that opportunity for us as people to do, to do right by the widow, to do right by the orphan, to take care of them, to, um, to be their protector, to go through these things. In fact, um, in February, uh, I think it was 19th, is uh, Far-Reaching Ministries. Wes is going to come and share with us, and that's one of the things they do in Far-Reaching Ministries, is they minister to orphans and to widows, and they do protection. He's got a lot of interesting folks on his staff, and he'll be really going to enjoy him sharing with us. Well, The writer here is saying, when are you going to do it? I'm giving you room. I'm leaving opportunity for you. Your word says I'm supposed to do that, so I have. So Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, this is not an uncommon question. These are saints that have died. They've been martyred. They're in heaven. They're under the throne of God. And this is what they say. When he opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I said, that's the answer. I want you to wait a little bit longer until the time is right, until all of those that are martyred are martyred. And at that time, when it's, when it's the very end, when it's the time of grace and mercy is over with, and it's time for me to do what I said I'm going to do, and make no mistake about it, he will. That's what we're waiting for, and I want you to wait for that, he says. One of the things that's been on my heart lately is salvation, but from what? Our salvation isn't for me to come to God to have him fix my marriage, although that may happen. It isn't for me to get out of financial difficulties. I've come to Jesus because my financial difficulties have gotten out of hand in my life, and therefore I'm coming to God for help. I've got a sickness that seems to uh, be raging in my body, and therefore I've come to God you know, for healing, and that's my salvation, salvation from this sickness. That is, that's not why Jesus died on the cross. Those are all byproducts of a relationship with God, maybe. Not everybody gets healed. Not everybody gets out of their financial difficulties. Not every marriage is fixed. That isn't true. We have Scripture to back that up. We come to Christ because I've sinned. I've separated myself from God. And God has justice waiting for me. And every human being that's ever been born, for those that have sinned against him. And he's created a place for angels that have fallen, the demons. It's called hell. And those who aren't of God are of the devil. And they follow him to that place. And that's where our abode is. That's where we live the rest of our life or die the rest of our existence. It's hell. I'm not a fire and brimstone guy, but you, you've got to know why you come to Christ. It's because if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the way of salvation that God's provided for you, then your eternity is secure in that. You're, going, you're not going to get to heaven. The vengeance that he's talking about here, the justice, the perfection that God is, that's waiting for the world, is this, a, a time where separation takes place between sheep and goats. A time where go, those who have trusted in God and, and rest in him for their salvation, that he's taken the penalty, the justice for their sins upon himself. Those who believe on those things are pre- prevented from heaven, protected from hell. You know, It's a struggle. Because I do want your marriages healed, and I do want your sicknesses healed, and I do want all those things to take place in your life. But the problem is once God does that, a lot of people don't walk with him anymore because they never came to him for the right reason. Thanks for fixing my marriage. I'm going to go on and live my life the way I want to live it. Because, Or thanks for not fixing my marriage. I guess that was a waste of time, me following after you. And they missed the point entirely. We don't want to miss that point. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, that 
but that all should come to repentance. The reason justice hasn't happened yet is because God is waiting for as many people to repent as possible. What is repentance? Turning from your sin. These are required things for salvation. You need to turn from your sin. You need to stop sinning. God didn't die on the cross for permission to sin. He didn't remove the law so that we could feel free to do whatever we wish and to still go to heaven without any consequences. That's not why he died on the cross. He took the consequences for those who trust in him. He took mine and he took yours if you've believed on him. If you haven't believed on Jesus for that reason, then he hasn't taken those consequences. And those consequences of your sin rest upon your life. And you are waiting for this great white throne. And the Bible says that you'll be the goat. That's a very serious serious thing to think about. Be concerned with. In verse 4, they utter speech and speak insolent things, these people that go on as if there is no God. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. The people that do these things, the writer says, seem to have the impression that God doesn't even pay attention or that he's non-existent or that he even approves in some ways. I don't know how you get to that place, but you can apparently get to that place where you don't believe that God's going to do anything about these things. That's one of the things is in the last days before Jesus comes, there's going to be scoffers. And one of the things the scoffers say, the people that don't believe Jesus is coming, is you guys have been saying that for years and he still hasn't come. When when is he coming? It's not going to happen. They don't believe it. All things continue on as they always have. Well, they do until they don't. And that's always the case. We see that with, even in wars, we see someone that seems to be getting away with war crimes or seems to be uh, provoking their neighbors and doing that without any consequences, and all of a sudden the bombs drop on them. They realize, oh my goodness, Egypt thought they were fine. They thought they could do whatever they wanted to the nation of Israel. It's been 400 years we've been oppressing these people. What in the world is God going to do? What God? Their gods let them be slaves for 400 years until it was time. It's going to come suddenly. It's going to come upon those that are looking up and scoffing and laughing and God's wrath will come down and it'll be a very difficult time for this world. A lot of tough decisions will have to be made. A lot of people will come to know the Lord, it seems in the book of Revelation 6 through 19, that many come to know the Lord during that time, seven years prior to the actual wrath of God being, you know, until it's over, the great white throne judgment. So some do choose. And some live today and think, well, I'll just wait till that happens. I mean, when that happens, then I guess I'll believe and then I'll, I'll actually do something. But a lot of people don't make it in the Great Tribulation who thought that. But they make that decision at the last minute. A lot of people die suddenly. There's a lot of that going around. A lot of heart attacks. A lot of people just dropping. Who thought they had tomorrow. Who thought they'd have another chance, an opportunity. And they've rejected the gospel so many times in their life. I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying some of them. Statistically, I've got one more day. I've got another day. I've got another five years. I've got another. That's when I'll do it. When I get older, when that, ha- I'll wait till my deathbed. I'll wait till I'm 
closer to death. It's any day. These people speak insolent things. They just don't think that God's going to do anything. Genesis 16, 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. That's what she named him. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? God is seeable. I know that's not a word. But he is. He makes himself known. He's making himself known right now in your heart. I'm not the voice of God, but his word is penetrating and it's pulling you and it's tugging you and you're feeling guilt and you're feeling conviction. You're feeling like you need to do something. And that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's up to you whether you act upon that conviction or not. You've got to step forward. You have to come to the Lord. You have to make the decision yourself and admit that what God says about your life and your sins is true and that you want to turn from those things today. He is seeable. Proverbs 24, verses 17 through 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. I want to see justice as much as anybody. But I don't rejoice in it, and I, we have to be careful about that. I, I struggle with, in my own walk, I... I know it's okay to be excited when a criminal's caught. I, I like it when someone who's being reckless on the road gets pulled over in front of me. I enjoy that. But I have to be careful about my exuberance in my celebration about these things. Finally, justice is being served. Never say that about myself. It's not that I want them to avoid justice. I do want them saved, though. Is that my primary hope as a Christian for every single person I've ever met or seen or read about is that I hope they get saved? Who is your biggest nemesis in your life, whether that's in the government, whether that's in your workplace, or in your own home? Is your hope for justice for them? Or is your hope for salvation for them? I mean, we want both. Justice will take place, but I I sure hope we're praying for salvation like we received. God wants us to anyway. That's his heart. If we have God's heart, we have the heart of someone who hopes for repentance in other people. We hope for that. Verse 8, understand you senseless among the people and you fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They're futile. It's almost like he's correcting himself. Is God not seeing? Can he not do these things? When's the vengeance coming? I mean, the the, the wicked people wonder when it's going to happen. And he kind of, he's talking about the wicked people in verses 8 through 11. But he is talking about himself as well. If God created ears on me and on you, certainly he can hear himself. If he's created um, an eye for us, certainly he sees. So he's not blind and deaf to what's going on around it. Certainly the idea is if I can see it, he can see it. And that just causes me to pause then about my reaction to what I'm seeing and hearing. 
Is my reaction correct? Does it match up with Jesus? I think about the boat. When they're sailing across the sea, Jesus says, we're going to go across the sea and we're going to minister over there. And the waves and the wind came up against them and they were all terrified and Jesus was asleep on the back of the boat. And that reminds me of this psalm. There was panic amongst the disciples. We don't know what's going to happen. We think we're all going to die. He doesn't care about us, they said. Do you not care that we are about to perish? That doesn't even line up with what they know about him, does it? It doesn't line up with his actions. He may not be doing anything about the wind and the waves right now, but he could and would when he wants to, but he isn't. So why am I in a panic when he isn't in a panic about it? And so he calls them, tells them, you have little faith. And he calms everything immediately. A better response to this would, if Jesus is taking a nap in the middle of this, maybe we should be catching some rest as well. As opposed to wondering why he's not frantic and in a panic like we are. God isn't in a hurry. It says there, it's long-suffering, he's patient, he's waiting. He doesn't desire anybody to perish. In Psalm ninety-three or 53, excuse me, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. The foolish person, as this writer describes, is senseless. They don't think there's a God that can do anything about it, which in itself is foolish. I've I've never understood that. The evidence is all around it. I don't don't believe in in Jesus or God or Christianity because I was told by my parents I don't even believe it necessarily because I've had an experience with Jesus Christ, although I have. I've experienced his salvation. I've been born again. I've, I, can, I know the month. I don't know the end of the year, but I don't know the day. Back when I got saved, I wasn't really paying attention to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the time. It was just a month. And I knew you know, I wasn't on duty that month. That's what I remember. But it was July of 1989 was I was born again believer, changed. Knew Jesus, grew up with him my whole life, colored the pages, went to Sunday school faithfully, sat in church, never had an impact on me, but I was broken at a certain time, July 1989. So I've had that moment. I believe in God, not because of that, because it makes sense. I look around me and the evidence is very clear. Now, I admit the evidence that I can see now is because I'm born again. I think he opened my eyes to who he is and how the world screams that there's a creator. It's obvious. No one ever looked at a cookie on the table and said, I wonder how that just formed. Well, there were ingredients. There was a baker. Someone's hands were upon that. It's obvious. And science is just so overwhelmed by what they're finding as they look deeper into us as human beings or into the natural world around them and into the natural laws of the galaxies and of the universe, they're realizing, whoa, this is designed, this is built, this is put together with such precision. This can't. There isn't enough time. In fact, time is the enemy of every other man's philosophy out there. We think time is the friend. Darwin thought, well, given enough time, all things are possible. That's the exact opposite of what we're finding in the genetic code. 
Everything is in decay, including the genetic code. Time is not their friend. The longer we live, this generation is worse than the last generation. We're in decay. Anybody that's ever bought a computer understands that. No one's excited about a used computer. There's a reason it doesn't work anymore. It sells the same software that it was originally given, but it's been used in such a way that it's like, this is corrupted. I'm never going to get the speed out of it again. I'm never going to get the, we need a new generation of hardware to keep up with the new software and so on. We understand that. We can see that happening in our universe. I believe in God because it makes sense that there's a creator, there's a baker. Not because I was indoctrinated. I don't ever want us to have an indoctrination class back there. Sunday school should always be about the person of Jesus. Yeah, I want them to know God's word, but they need to be born again and they need to see the reason behind it. It's reasonable. It just makes sense. It is the most plausible answer to our existence. Of course, it goes beyond that. Of course, he can see. Of course, he knows. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 20, verse 23, it's one of the churches he's speaking to here. It's a little rough, but we better pay attention. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. He is paying attention to what we do, to how we think, to how we act. He doesn't just overlook these things. This is to one of the churches. We have to be very careful that we don't associate my attendance or our ritual relationship with this book or with the people around us. Mistake that for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's different. Verse 12, blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. He's trying to build himself back up and bring him out of this pit of despair. Why in the world is justice or injustice going unchecked? He understands that there's a teaching going on. There's a class being held here in this world. That he's trying to instruct us. A lot of people won't be instructed. And so you can see them go through the same things in life over and over again. Same thing happens, relationship after relationship after relationship. And they cannot figure out why they're caught in this loop because they're not being instructed. The nation of Israel, around and around the same mountain for 40 years, And they almost fell for it again. Do you remember when they first came up to the Jordan? They said, we're not going in. We're not going to trust God. He was upset. So he waits 40 years and Joshua brings him to the same crossing. And they began to do it again. He says, do not go there. There were two tribes that says, I think we're fine over here. We don't want to go over there and get this promised land. This land's pretty good. We'll take it. And Joshua about blew his top. I'm not spending another 40 years out here. I'm not doing it. And they said, okay, okay, okay. We'll come in with you. We'll conquer the land. We'll do what we're supposed to do. But we want to come back over here. We don't want to stay over there. Strangest exchange in Scripture, in my opinion. 
We actually go over with the rest of the tribes, conquer the land, God gives it to them, and, and, and then they go back across the Jordan as if that didn't take place or if that wasn't the best for them. And they live over here in God's second best. We don't want that. They weren't teachable. I want to be teachable. As I walk with the Lord more and more, and I know the scriptures more and more, I know, I know a lot more than I did when I first started. I know that. But I still want to be teachable. Every time I open this book, I want him to speak to me. I want him to talk to me about things in my life. I like to say it's fine-tuning, but a lot of times it's not fine-tuning. It's just gigantic things I haven't touched yet in my life. You know, Sins that he wants to deal with, thoughts, ideas. You, know, you need to change your mind about these things. I want to be teachable. That only comes from humility. The more and more our world moves from humility, the harder and harder it is to be able to teach. Whether that's scripture, whether that's in public school, whether that's in any kind of situation or education, the more pride that's in that room where the instructor is supposed to be in charge and is supposed to be sharing wisdom, you've probably experienced it. you got an arrogant, mouthy, you know, Hockey, whatever you want to call them over there, just, I don't, I know more than the, you know, they're unteachable. We have Christians that can do the same thing. We can reach this level of knowledge and understanding of God and say, I am the teacher now, you know. No, we're always needs to be teachable, always open to God. Blessed is the man whom you instruct and you teach. You give him rest from his adversities. Maybe if we knew that better, that when I listen to God and do what he tells me to do, I'm going to avoid a lot of hassles in my life. I won't have to go through this loop again. I won't have to go through this high and this low again every time. High, low, high, low. If I just listen to him and do what he told me to do, trust his word. The Lord will not cast off his people, thank goodness. Nor will he forsake his inheritance. It's interesting he calls us that. We are his inheritance. In Jeremiah 51, 56, because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken, for the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. The nation of Israel went into captivity. It must have been a difficult time for them understanding how in the world is this part of your plan for my life. I'm in captivity. God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break their bows. I'm going to recompense. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And he did. And he was faithful and brought the nation of Israel back into the promise. Once they had learned. They went into captivity because they had this relationship with God. And then they kind of took it for granted that he was just going to love them no matter what they did. And then they went and did whatever they wanted to do. And God stepped in and said, I'm not okay with this. And that is the cycle I see happening over and over in our world. Even with Christians. Oh, I come to know Christ. I've been walking with them enough time. I can get by with it. Everybody around me thinks I'm pretty saved. I'm a pretty decent person. Then they begin to do whatever they want to do, thinking there's no consequences for it. And then the consequences hit. Now, God won't leave you there, and he'll recover you and bring you back. But you've got to be teachable in those moments. All of us do. We have to move towards being conformed into his image. Never forget that about your walk. 
We're not okay where we are. I, I can never mistake my sin for that's just the way God made me. It isn't. God made you perfect in his image, like him, like the character we read about God, holiness. That's how he made you. Anything other than God's holiness is corrupt code. That's all it is. You're an error. You're, you're wrong. That's not how he made you. He didn't design you to be faulty. He's designed to bring us, and he's trying to conform us back to him, to his image. We're called to that. So I have to be teachable. I have to let him work. I have to let God's word change me, instruct me, change me my behavior. We have to have that. He, he asks us, he begs us for that. Verse 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I said, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. You can see him working his way from look at them to look at me. Who's going to rise up and protect me from evildoers? Only God can do that. Who's going to stand up against the workers of iniquity in my life? Only God can do that. God is a, is a help to us. if We'll let him help us. We've already discussed it in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. I've never seen any of that. All of my problems pale in comparison to verses 2 and 3 that I just read. I've never seen mountains removed. Be a little bit of panic. Seas boiling. That's way more than what I've seen. I have to trust that he's able to help me in the smaller things of my life. Do you need help this morning? Are you struggling? Are there things you're carrying? Are there things against you? Are people, uh, even yourself, addictions, things like that. He's a very present help in time. He's a place of refuge. He wants to touch you this morning and be with you and help you. You've got to let him. If, you're, if my foot slips, your mercy, O oh Lord, will hold me up. I rely on God's mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want to make sure that I switch my gears to hoping justice upon people, but that there might be mercy for them. Praying for mercy. Verse 20, and we'll close here. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? No, light and dark cannot have fellowship with him. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense, and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. That's how he concludes the song. Interesting song to sing. Ezekiel 33.11 Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? 
There's a lot in that scripture that tells us, I'm not going to be okay with your ways. What, what I do offer you, though, is not a pass, but a way to return from those evil ways, to turn from them, to, to leave them behind. We're called to that. There had to be a decision in my life. I'm never going to have another Friday night like I've had in my past. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I need to plan for it on Wednesday, two days before Friday happens. I'm not going to do this Friday what I've done Friday my entire lives. I'm just using that as an example. They're going to call. They're going to come to my door. They're going to ask me. They're going to beg me. They're going to make it easy for me. Satan will meet me at that door and say, come out this Friday night and do everything you've always ever done. We'll even pay for it, they may say. I remember those days. I come up with excuses because I didn't have enough guts to say, I don't want to sin. I love Jesus now. I don't want to walk this way. I feel miserable on Saturday. I feel miserable on Sunday. I want to continue doing what's right. I feel so good right now. I feel so close to God right now. I don't want to break this fellowship. I, want to, I don't want to ever see that brokenness again in my life from God. But I don't have the guts to say that to my friends on Friday night or Saturday night. In fact, I'll tell them something like, I don't have any money. I'm going to just stay home tonight. You know, that doesn't work. It won't work. Because your friends will say, that's God. I got you. I got you. Come on out. I'll cover it. Now, what do you say? The the dumb excuse you came up with, because you can't say, I want to be holy I want to be made, I want to live the way I was made to live. I want to be close to God. You have to make that decision. And you have to make it before the decision comes or the moment. I decide now I'm no longer going to live the way I used to live. I'm turning my back to that life and I'm walking with God from here out. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to learn what that looks like and I'm going to walk that way and I'm going to be that person that God made me to be. I'm not going to be this anymore. I refuse. And you have to be, I mean, decided because they will come up with, you will come up with even in your own, you'll have that conversation in your head. You're going overboard. You're being zealous. You're being weird. You're being extreme. No. I need to be extreme. I was definitely extreme over here. I'm going to be super extreme for God. Because He loves me. You know, I've had affairs with all sorts of spiritual things over there, bringing it into that relationship idea. I've gone out with Him, and I've gone out with Him, and I've gone out with Him, and I've had all sorts of... And none of them were meaningful, and none of them meant anything to me, and none of them were permanent, and all of them left me scarred and wounded. But this one loves me with an everlasting love. I'm going to be extreme, so extreme it's called, I'm going to be exclusive to him, and him only. That's a decision we have to make. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to come to Christ. Will you marry me, Jesus says. I will marry you, forsaking all others. And we walk with God. You cannot have spiritual adultery with Him. You may. It's possible you still have the choice, but it's not okay. He's jealous for you, of you, given everything for you. No one's going to love you like I've loved you. No one's going to care for you. No one's going to help you more than I have. 
Psalm 94 is getting to this, and he's talking about this. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. This is our last scripture for this morning. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, that would be Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. Everything we see now, it's all gone. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Make no mistake, this is Christianity. This is what walking with Jesus is about and why we come to him. Sin takes us to hell. and God brings us to life. Very simple choice. It's always been that choice from Old Testament to New Testament. I'm giving you a path, a path of life, or you can choose the path of death. And he says over and over, choose life, choose life, choose life. That's not just a, an anti-abortion slogan. That's, that's every single human being that's ever lived has that opportunity to choose life or to choose death. I pray this morning, if you haven't chosen life, that you would choose life for yourself today. Because he offers that to you. You have to make that call. Lord, we love you. We love you because you loved us. You made it very clear as the world has tried to love us with its enticements and sin and catering to our whims and our needs and giving us the appetites and feeding our appetites that we want fed. And they've all come up short and they've all left us empty. You give us the one thing that we need, the one thing we were created to have, and that's a relationship with you, to live in you, to be in you. You're our creator. We cannot live outside of you. So God, this morning we hear you offering that way of salvation back to you, through your son Jesus. That the sins that we've committed against you, the, the living of our own life, the leading of our own path, has left us distant from you and far from you and feeling dirty and hopeless and empty. We'd hate that. But when we see you, when we, when we hear you, when we read your word, there's this sense of life and hope that we hear. We can feel it. We want that. Because your word says that we have to be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. We ask for that this morning. Lord, we want to be born again. We hate the separation from you. Would you wake us up, revive our spirit that we might see you and fellowship with you and read your word and understand it and be changed by you to have a relationship like a marriage to you for the rest of our lives that would be exclusive to you. That you conform us into your image and fix us. We'd be teachable and we'd hear your word and be changed by it. And we'd continue to trust you. No matter what's tempting us, but to refuse that and to walk towards you. That is our decision this morning. We choose that this morning.
And for Monday, and for Tuesday, and for Wednesday, and for Thursday, and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we choose you each and every day, Lord, to walk with you. That's our heart this morning. So Lord, receive us, forgive us, make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. If you need a Bible, grab one on your way out. You can take it and read it.